Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're so pleased to have you join us for the program. And I think this is one of the things that the Old Testament is going to do fairly graphically. It's going to show us that sin carries a price and God now offers us grace. I will forgive you. Will you receive it? Picture this. You've just spent ages making a cake for a special occasion. You ask someone to hold it for you while you grab something. That person just lets go of the cake. Doesn't care. Just lets it fall. It's more than just the cake that is broken. An act like that breaks your heart. That's what sin does to God. And tonight in Jeremiah chapter 19, Dr. Corbett unpacks the most brilliant analogy of sin and its consequences. Tasked with breaking a flask. Let's join Dr. Corbett now. The prophet who wept. I'll remind you that we started from verse 1. We went down to verse 9. We saw that the prophet indicted the people. He has been told by God, take some of the leaders, the elders with you, go out to the, a valley called Hinnom and go to a place in the valley of Hinnom called uh, Tophet. And it, it's there that I want you to speak to the elders. And so we, we now come to Jeremiah and he's holding a flask and God's going to get him to do something with this flask in a moment. So let's, let's read from verse 10. It says this, Then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you. And may God grant us understanding into his word as we look at this now. We we come to the next verse, verse 11. And and you shall say to them, uh, and shall say to them, Thus is the Lord of hosts. So will I break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel so that it can never be mended. Men shall bury in Tophet because there is no place else to bury. So I'm, I'm just going to mention a couple of things here about this. I mean, this, you know, you'll bury them in Tophet because there's nowhere else to bury. Well, what's the big deal about that? Well, Tophet was very, very clayey, which is why potters loved it. They'd go out and it was a very rich red earthen clay thing. So they would, they would take the, the clay from this area. And so what, what, the people of Israel had done, the people of Jerusalem had done, was they, they found that this was a really lousy place to bury anybody. So that's where they buried foreigners. That's where they buried people who were not Hebrews, who were not Israelites. This is the place where, where I'm going to use this word scum, the Hebrew word was actually dogs, were buried. So this is kind of how they felt about this place. And this is the place where they were sacrificing children. This is the place where they were worshipping Baal and Ashtaroth, these two sexual fertility gods. And so God has just said to Jeremiah, take, take this vessel, take this jar, this flask, stand right there, right where this thing would have, that's where they got the clay from. And this is known as the, the potter's field because potters love this place and they get their clay here. And this is where the people you're talking to will be buried. You can can see what he's saying. You will be treated like dogs. You'll be treated like scum. You'll be treated as if you are rubbish. So you may have missed that, but that's really what's going on here. Jeremiah is then going to do something. 
And he's going to break the flask, and I'm going to demonstrate this in a moment. So when Jeremiah breaks the flask, and and we're jumping ahead a little bit, you remember in Jeremiah 18, he's told, go to the potter's house and have a look at the potter making the vessel. And as he makes the vessel, the potter goes, nah, and goes, and starts again. And God says, can't I do that with you? Can't I mould you how I choose? And so now Jeremiah's got a vessel and the vessel is not being used the way it's supposed to be used. So now the potter, God, is saying, I'm going to smash this. But really what's happening here is, is that it was, it was kind of showing that by your betrayal, this is what you've done to God's heart. And I think this is one of the things that the Old Testament is going to do fairly graphically. It's going to show us that sin carries a price. And that sin has a price tag and that price tag says death. And that sin is not just a matter of breaking God's law. It's breaking God's heart. Can you imagine saying to someone you love and you care for, here's a cake I've just made. We're about to go out. Just hold this while I go and get my jacket. Hold this. And you come back in and they've taken that cake and they've gone, you've just spent hours making. They've broken the cake. But what else have they broken? Your heart. They've broken your trust. They've broken whatever sense of loyalty you felt that they gave you. Can you see when we take that, that law that God has given us and he, he has said, if you live by this, you'll maximise your life. You will have the best life. And we go, here's your law, God. Smash. And, and, and when people do that, it's breaking God's heart. Here's Jeremiah, he takes this vessel, he takes it, he goes out through uh, the south, and I'm going to show you a map in a moment, he goes south, he goes out to the Valley of Hinnom, so he goes down, they're now looking north back over Jerusalem, they can't quite see the temple from where they are, they're in a valley, he comes around to the side, I guess if they sort of looked around the corner they they could see the temple just, and he takes this and he's, he's standing right here very strategically, and I'm going to show you why in a moment. He takes this vessel and this, this, he's in this field where, where the, I said before the potters would get clay and, and he would break it. So he breaks this pottery in the potter's field. And he's saying to Israel, this is what you've done to God. This is what you've done to the Lord. This is what you've done with your relationship with God. You've betrayed him. It's interesting because that is the exact spot where Judas Iscariot met his end. It says that he went out and bought a field of blood, the potter's field, where they buried foreigners, where it was called a field of blood. It was the potter's field. This is where Judas Iscariot bought this thing. He went there and then it says he hung himself and met his end. And we read in, I think it's Acts, that his body bloated, it fell and his 
Young boys will love this. His guts spilled everywhere. The old King James, his bowels came forth. Not pretty. That's where Jeremiah is right now. On that spot where in just 590 years or so, Judas would meet his end. Uncanny. Amazing. So I wanted to demonstrate this this morning. I actually, when Kim went out yesterday, I reached up in the cupboard and got an engagement present that we were given. (laughs) What's the name of the... Dominique. Dominique, that's right. Dominique was an arts... She was doing a master's in arts and we helped bring her to Christ and disciple her a bit. And in gratitude, when we got engaged, she gave us this lovely handmade earthen jar, probably, you know, 150 bucks in a shop. And I then, while Kim stepped out, grabbed that, went down the end of the road. But how would they have felt when, when he did this right in front of them? I, didn't, I couldn't find any elders to take with me, so I just went down by myself and, and, and just... Yeah, one was fishing. Um, and, just, and just smashed it. So there it is. There, there's the pieces and, and it's, it's broken. It's, it's kind of little bits and pieces and... Fortunately, I didn't do it in the church, so some of these little sharp bits, you can be glad, are here and not in your eye. So, so there they are. There's the, there's the broken pieces of, of that jar. And, and so Jeremiah did this. So let's, I want you to see a couple of things here because this, there's a map of ancient Jerusalem. We're going to zoom in down the bottom there. and So we, we have the, the temples right up there, and they come out. And they've come to this place, the potter's field, here, and Tophet is about here. And you notice the New Testament word for Tophet, Akeldama. And you'll find that referenced in um, Acts chapter 1, about verse 16, where it says that Judas went out, bought that field, and met his end at Akeldama. So that's... So that's that. Now, this is, I, I find this interesting because I'm going to draw some analogy here in a moment that Jeremiah took a vessel that was not what God had intended. He went out of the city and he broke it. And, and I'm just going to run ahead a little bit. In, in about five, six hundred years, Jesus, the vessel of the Lord, the true vessel of the Lord, is also going to be taken out of the city and he's also going to be broken. But I'm running ahead a little bit. But let me show you where that's going to happen or where that was to happen on the map. So over here we have, this is, we can't actually see the elevations too well, but this is Mount Moriah. And Mount Moriah is where the temple was built. Today it's called the Dome of the Rock. It's an Islamic territory. Right here. But I want you to see something. This is north. Basically, this is actually, it's north kind of that way. And this temple had to face, it had to face east. And so that when you came in from the east, you would be heading west. And I haven't really got time to explain this, but in the Bible, we have this picture of east and west that when man rebelled, they headed east out of the Garden of Eden. 
And every time man runs away from God, the Bible describes it as heading east. So when Jonah rebelled against God, he headed east to Tarshish. But whenever people come back to God and God's redemptive plan kicks in, they're always heading west. It's uncanny. I, I, I wonder if the biblical writers even understood what they were writing. And so when the temple was set out, we have the entrance of the temple here and they, they come in to what this used to be a, a curtain when it was a tabernacle. Now it's a wall, a great big wall. And, and they come in here, they come in through another entrance here and then the temple is divided, the holy place, and then on this side, the holy of holies. So the further west you go, the more into God's presence you come. I want you to see something that when you go away from God, Jeremiah would have had to have gone east and then south down to Tophet. When Jesus died, you could have almost looked straight out through the Holy of Holies over to Calvary. And that's where Jesus died. Interesting. Jesus gives us the ultimate picture of what it means to come to God. Now, this, this pot was a picture of the covenant. A covenant is an agreement. In fact, there are some people who think, well, I know God, intuitively I just know that God must be a forgiving God. He, he's all love after all. And we sometimes confuse love for... We, we confuse love for carelessness. We think that love means you don't care about how others treat you because you love them. It doesn't matter how they treat you. That's actually not really good thinking. In fact, God is love and he absolutely cares how you treat him. In fact, God wants us to love each other and it is absolutely imperative that we care about how we treat each other. So to think that because you love someone or someone loves you, you can just do what you want, is really faulty thinking. And when, when you say, God, I want to receive your love, I want to come into a relationship with you, God says we can only do that by way, here's a big word, the word, we can only do that by forming a covenant, which means an agreement. And the picture we have of that agreement today is called marriage and you think the devil wants to destroy that picture you think that you think this same-sex thing is about whatever they reckon it's about rubbish or as Fazrana would say crop this is about <laughs> ology this is about a picture god has given to show that if you want a relationship with him, it's all that marriage... Marriage is a picture of two people that surrender their own identity. They come, they form a one new identity. They're bringing something into it. They're, they're taking something from it. They're becoming one. That's, called, that's a covenant. And the only way you can have peace with God, the only way is if you enter into a covenant with him. And to do that, you have to say this. Just as when I marry a, a, a couple and my wife likes to mess with a whole bunch of people that we meet, she says, my husband has married many women. Um, which out of context sounds really freaky. And, 
But when I marry a couple, I'll say, do you give yourself to, to be wedded to this man? Do you give yourself to be wedded to this woman? Are you giving yourself over? And hopefully, the answer is, yes, I, I will. <laughs> will you give yourself? Not I, not I, do. I never ask, do you? I always ask, will you? Because it's not a momentary thing. It's a commitment for life. Will you? Will you? Not do you. Will you? I know Hollywood loves I do. Only I'm digressing here. But the point is that that's what it means to be involved in a relationship with God. We say, God, I give you my life. And God says, well, I'll give you mine. And he did when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. He gave his life for us. So Jesus Christ was, was like a perfect vessel. And he was taken out of the city and he was broken. And just as Jeremiah had elders and leaders and priests witnessing what he was doing, there were elders and leaders and priests watching Christ die on Golgotha, watching him die at Calvary. This is an amazing picture that Jeremiah is giving us. So Jesus Christ was broken outside of the city in the presence of priests and elders and we can look at Jesus on that cross and think, well, oh boy, what a tragedy. What a, what a travesty of justice. But it really wasn't. In one sense it was. But in another sense, we could think, what's going on here? But it wasn't the nails that was holding Jesus to the cross. It was his love for us. And that paints a completely different picture of who we think's in control. Was it the Romans or was it Jesus? It was Jesus. You've heard the expression, um, was it three nails plus one cross equals four given? And that's what Jesus has done. We could think that before Jesus made it to the cross, that when he was being whipped and when he was being beaten and when he was being insulted and when he was being spat at, that this was what broke Jesus. This is what did this to Jesus. But it wasn't the whipping, the beating, the insults, the spitting, the humiliation, the stripping bare naked. That wasn't what broke him. It was when God took our sin and laid it upon him. You want to know what God thinks of our sin? Look at what he did to Jesus. Because Jesus became sin for us. That's what it says in, what is it, 2 Corinthians 5. Jesus became sin for us. We come back to the text, we're in verse 12. Thus will I do to this place, declares the Lord, and to its inhabitants, making this city like Tophet. This city, Tophet, where the potters had come out, smashed their pots. Jeremiah's just smashed a pot. There's all this yucky, muddy clay. This is what I'm going to do to the city. And God did. When Nebuchadnezzar came in, it's exactly what happened. We read, on the houses of Jerusalem and the houses of King of Judah. Now we're going to hear the betrayal. See if you can feel what God is feeling when he says this. Hear the betrayal in this. All the houses on whose roofs offerings have been offered to all of the host of heaven and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods shall be defiled like the place of Tophet. Wow. So Jeremiah's taken the leaders and the priests and he's he smashed this jar. There it is, splintered everywhere. Very dramatic. We could talk about how God uses drama and the arts and media and song and poetry to grip people's lives. But we won't. 
I want to focus on what's actually happening here. Leaders and priests. He's spoken to the leaders and the priests first. Why? Because these people have first responsibility. If you are a leader, you have responsibility. Before you have position, you have responsibility. There are leaders in this church and you have no position, but you bear responsibility. And Jeremiah is speaking to these leaders. Leaders communicate first. People listen to leaders. Now, while we're talking about Jeremiah, have a listen to this. There was someone else who went out of the city and this is what he said. Alas, for women who were pregnant and for those who were nursing infants in those days, there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. Sounds like Jeremiah in another chapter. But you know who this is? This is Jesus saying exactly what Jeremiah is saying. And as Jeremiah was about to see within 40 years Babylon come in and destroy. When Jesus said in Matthew 23 and 24, this city, Jerusalem, again, would be destroyed in 40 years again. Same parallel to Jeremiah. The Romans came in and destroyed the city. Exactly the same. And Jesus goes out of the city and he says, whoa, whoa. I mean, Jesus speaking wrath? Andrew, get a grip. Jesus was about love and tolerance and forgiveness and peace, man. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Have a nice day. That's Jesus. Ouch. I don't know what picture you've got of Jesus. You think you can spit in his face and mind you i'm not talking to you remember that you're just listening in right don't take this personally but you see jesus is about to pay a huge price for sin this is about to be done to him because of sin so god's god's leaders as we're going to read jeremiah is going to go into the temple and he's going to speak to the people and he's going to talk to these people who've set up these other gods these other idols and he's going to deal with it and godly leaders will confront idolatry And you'd be amazed what the New Testament calls idolatry. We read in Colossians 3, I think, or Colossians 4, that it actually says some really interesting things about what a Christian should regard as idolatry, and godly leaders will confront it. We read in verse 14, Then Jeremiah came to Tophet, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The God of Israel, behold, I'm bringing upon this city and upon all its towns all the disaster that I have pronounced against it. But because they have stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words, because they have stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words. See, God didn't want this, but these people had refused to humble themselves. They'd refused. They'd stiffened their neck. Imagine that, you know, someone trying to turn your neck on my neck. And that's what's going on here. And God says, okay, I'm not going to... Just off you go. Romans chapter 1, that's what he says. God just hands them over. You see, it takes humility to repent. It takes humility to repent. Proud people do not repent. How can you tell someone who's repentant? They use language like this. 
I'm sorry. They experience emotions like this. Every time I think of what I've done, it hurts. After all, painful memories are painful. Repentant people feel like that. They think like that. That takes humility. And here's some good news for you. Maybe it's not if you're proud, but it says this in 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you think you can be proud, leave this life, go and stand before God in the next life and go, hey, I'm here. The Bible says that that attitude will meet with God's opposition. But here's the good news. Notice the, first, or notice the, the last part of that. God gives grace to the humble. So what's God offering now? This should be good news, especially after what we've just looked at now. I mean, they didn't have this offer of grace. They didn't have the offer of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have Jesus die for them. They had, as Sari said, to repeat animal sacrifices year in, year out, year in, year out. And now Jesus has come, he's died, he's paid the price for us. And God now offers us grace. I will forgive you. Will you receive it? And there's the question. Will you? God offers grace. God offers to forgive you of your sin. Let's pray. Father, I pray for everybody listening to me now. Perhaps, Lord, for those people who are proud and have never humbled themselves. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would minister your grace to allow those people who are listening to humble themselves and receive your grace. Father, we thank you that Jesus has been broken for us. He's paid the price that we could never pay. He was taken out of the city. He was smashed because of our sin, because of what we did to him. And now, Lord, I'm in church on Sunday not to pay you back because I'm in church on Sunday because I'm just so grateful for what you've done. I'm so grateful for what you've done. And now I pray, Father, for those who have not yet received your forgiveness, not yet been reconciled to you. It doesn't matter who you've done it with. It doesn't matter where you've done it or how many times you've done it. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. It doesn't matter what you've done. God can forgive you. He can take your sin and put it on his son on Calvary nearly 2,000 years ago and you can be free from sin, forgiven, cleansed and made whole. And the question is, would you like to be? Would you like a brand new start in your life? How's life going for you? Do you want a new life? That's what Jesus Christ is offering. It's called being born again. If that's where you're at, if that's where you're at right now, then I invite you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. Come into my heart and help me to live for you, I pray. Amen. The act of sin breaks not just God's law, but his heart. It's just like the breaking of a flask. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Tasked with Breaking a Flask, 
are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.